Hello and welcome to the Muni Oral History Project, where we explore the stories and rich history of the Springfield Municipal Opera over the past 60 years. Stories from the people who have built, experienced, and performed what we'd like to refer to as Muni Magic. Sit back and relax and listen to these tales of Broadway under the stars. So here we are today with Paul Presney. Um, hi, Paul. How are you doing? Just fine, thanks, Jacob. Nice to chat with you. Thank you. Well, good. Okay, so we'll get right down to it. So, how did you become involved with the Muni? I became involved with the Muni. Uh, my sister was asked to audition for the musical Gypsy in 1969 for, like, Baby June or or, or Baby Louise or one of the kids. And I got drug along down to the audition, and the party that uh, asked Kathy to come out to the audition was Don Bailey, and Kathy had just gotten done with doing a production of Winnie the Pooh at Blessed Sacrament School. She was Piglet, and I had no theater background or training. I just ended up going along for the ride, and uh, we both ended up getting cast as newsboys in that show uh, that Don Bailey directed. And that was the start of our involvement, uh, the family's involvement with Muni. So, of course, your mom was a powerhouse um, while she was still with us. So um, had she done any theater prior to her involvement with Muni, or was she a newbie like the rest of you? She was a theater minor at University of Illinois. And uh, I I remember she, I think, did... uh, You're breaking up. Oh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Can you? Great. Uh, I believe uh, she did the makeup for a gentleman by the name of Peter Palmer, uh, who was uh, a student at the same time that uh, she was uh, backstage at U of I, and uh, uh, he ended up being the original Little Abner. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. (laughs) uh, And went on to do that movie, so they're... Uh, no connection other than just simply knowing each other from working backstage. Uh, and that's how I think uh, she basically got involved and had a love, love of theater because of, uh, uh, because of that and maybe other items. She, her dad, uh, I, we, John Murphy, we call him Murph, uh, took her out to see uh, Mary Martin and Peter Pan and out in New York, and so they would go out and see shows. And so that fostered that uh, involvement and interest with her. And then Mom was doing a show, at, uh, had tried out for a show at Theater Guild called Silver Whistle uh, that uh, a number of people were in. I believe, uh, if I, I can't remember whether Don Bailey was directing or was in that. Uh, Maggie Boswell, Betty Ward, uh, a number of, Jack Duffy, another, a number of what would be old line Muni folks. And from being involved in that show, mom got asked to by Don to assist uh, when they were going to do uh, the next next season show out at Muni to do Little Abner. And uh, so ultimately mom ended up assisting with Don as the director and that was mom's start at Muni. Uh, was in 1970, uh, outside of shuffering, being the taxi cab that got the kids back and forth uh, for Gypsy in 1969. 
Okay. Well, so, so um, your first show you said was Gypsy. When did you have your first like leading or supporting role? Oh, geez. I, it, that's, uh, I, I went through those awkward years where, where you're 12 or 13 and your voice is changing and nothing, uh-huh. nothing, no, no matter what you try out for, you never quite get there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and we had a lot, and, uh, and, uh, so uh, we did a lot of chorus stuff, and we worked and built sets. Uh, and uh, in that interim, uh, had a lot of experience with a gentleman by the name of Jim Cody, who was an architect who helped design the, the Muni stage that is laid out. And, and uh, he had a very close friend by the name of Kathy Betts, who later became his wife, who was a, quite an artist. Uh, and so... From in that period, I remember Jim teaching me all sorts of interesting things relative to lifts, weights, counterbalancing, staircases. Uh, and at that time, in '69, I believe Jim did the set for Man of La Mancha, which was out at Muni, which was years beyond its time when it was done. Uh, for with the staircase that comes down that concept of that staircase and those engineering things that uh, Jim taught me ultimately ended up in Hoagland's Man of La Mancha that we did several years ago and a staircase that I constructed based upon architectural instruction Jim gave me as a kid when I was 12 or 13 years old. Jim, it kind of fun side story. Jim, there's always lots of fun Muni stories. Jim actually came back to do a second version of Man of La Mancha uh, years, uh, you'd have to look at the year calendar, but uh, uh, Nancy Diefenbeck, I believe, had the lead in that that version, and that would have been in the late 90s, early uh, 2000s or so. And it was very fun because Jim uh, asked after me. I ended up coming out and painting the set, and I used the same technique to paint the stones on that show that Jim or that Kathy Betts taught me again back in 1969 Kathy had uh he had married her and she had predeceased so uh welcome to that awkward age where you're doing sets and other stuff and and I I think really the uh we we had a couple of nice Maggie Boswell probably was the uh a show called Irene in 1976 was probably the first show where I actually got uh, kind of a featured lead. I was kind of the the second uh, uh, banana comedy person. Uh, Tom Keola had the real lead. Vance Goodmanson had the ingenue, the male lead. Uh, Tom Keola was the first banana, and then I was kind of the second. Georgia Dirksen had the lead in that show, and it was a wonderful cast. And I w- was college age around that time, and so it was it was a lot of fun to do. Mom at that time was doing uh, 1776 with uh, uh, Robert Alda as the Franklin character. She had directed the show earlier out at Muni in 1972 when they had originally done it uh, as well. So, and Robert is father of Alan Starmash, correct? Uh, right, uh, right. Uh, and, and in his own right, uh, Robert was the original Sky Masterson and won the Tony on Broadway for it when he did that uh, in the 40s and ended up playing like Gershwin in, in uh, a movie called Rhapsody in Blue. Uh, a charming, charming gentleman. He and his wife, Florida, were uh, expats at that time. They actually, he actually lived in uh, uh, Italy, I believe, was primarily where they were. And uh, uh, 
but through agents ended up being con, uh, contracted. Franklin Life Insurance Company wanted to sponsor something for the uh, for the uh, 200th anniversary, and that's how uh, and Muni was contacted for that. The, the The fun sidecar that kind of goes with that is the the only other professional paid actor that I think Muni has had so far, to my knowledge, is a gentleman by the name of William Warfield. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And back in Showboat, uh, and I ended up directing that show by by a series of circumstances, and uh, so I, I ended up directing the other professional, William Warfield, who was quite a wonderful, wonderful gentleman. I, I can't say enough about about him. Uh, just a great man, and. Um, uh, that's it. That's its own story. Uh, I, Betty War, uh, actually, jeez, uh, uh, I'm going to forget names now. Um, um, uh, there was a gentleman uh, at the. Oh, jeez, and now I'm really going to be stuck because I'm on the on the phone uh, here trying to think. I'm, there was a gentleman who was originally cast or originally going to direct the show, and uh, the name right now escapes me, and I'll have it two seconds afterwards, but. He ran into some health issues and was not able to direct. And Betty Ward, who was the assistant director, was uh, uh, supposed to be the uh, director. Uh, she didn't want to take it on because she was not up to it health-wise. So I was doing sets for for the show at that time and ended up taking on the show and becoming the director. And William Warfield is the uh, is the only person I've ever had in a cast where I had to excuse the party from a dress rehearsal because he was performing at Carnegie Hall in New York. So, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely wonderful. Our, uh, yeah. and, and the gentleman who was set to direct the show uh, uh, also had a somewhat a dubious claim to fame. He was he used to be with uh, uh, MGM and then later with RKO, and they traded him back in the days in Hollywood, they traded him to get a young young guy into MGM, uh, and the young guy they traded him for was Frank Sinatra. Oh. So and 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 uh, uh, and and I'm 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 hoping the name will come to me. It's going to be on the it's on the tip of my tongue, but right now it escapes me. Really nice gentleman uh, lived over in the Champaign area, and he used to play. Uh, 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 the lead in Showboat, uh, uh, because they put the actors out on the Summerstock Theater when they weren't doing films, uh, and he used to do that role several times. And he always thought it would be fun to bring Dr. Warfield over, who also happened to be in the Champaign, Illinois area at that time, teaching college. And so his uh, 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 dream was to do that show one last time. Uh, and so that's kind of how that ended up coming to be. And William Warfield was. In the there well there were two movie versions of Showboat. The second one with Howard Keel, he was Joe, right? Right, he was. Uh, he yeah. was he was incredibly fluent uh, in a number of languages. Really, very mm -hmm. well classically trained. And and Doc Warfield uh, uh, also worked for the uh, uh, Army government uh, as a translator because of his language skills. Uh, and so was really well versed. He had done um, at the time that he did Showboat for us. He had not done the show uh, uh, for some time, but uh, he used to sing um, Old Man River for us in German, 
uh, as kind of a warm-up, and it's, it's, there's a fun story that goes with that. And uh, the, the story is, he was, they, again, he was in a, a traveling company uh, of showboat, and they had taken it over to Europe uh, some time ago, way long before this, uh, and after the movie had come out. And uh, of, of being fluent in many languages, uh, they were doing the show all in German. And Doc Warfield was uh, talking in, in German and doing everything in German. And he sang, the show opened, and he, and he sang uh, Old Man River in German. And uh, they, got, uh, they got wonderful reviews with one comment, and that was they were all very disappointed that that. Old Man River wasn't sung in English, which would seem odd to us because you would want the, sh the language to be the same throughout the show. But uh, because of the 45s and the records and the movie popularity of the song, everybody in Germany was used to listening to the song in English as opposed to in German. And so the second night the show went up, the marquee changed, and it, and it indicated uh, with William Warfield singing Old Man River, in English, and and the show, even though it was done in Germany, always stopped or not stopped, but the 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 old man river number was always sung in English after that uh, with Doc's cast. So he would sing it in German for us, and then and it told us the story, and it was quite not, uh, what what a fun memory to take away, right? Yeah. So well, you've kind of told us some already, but what are some other favorite Muni memories from either? being in the show or backstage or directing or well there, there there's there are lots of fun things i think uh, uh uh the family's had a lot of history with with muni my sister was treasurer for a couple of years and a muni board member mom was past muni president i think for a couple of years uh, if i recall uh dad used to there used to be things called uh muni banquets or muni alls where everybody'd get together and we'd kind of put a show on in the in the spring and it was really a dinner gala event and dad used to uh buy all the leftover tables so that there would there would and fill them with guests uh because it was a, a fundraiser for muni and that way the muni had uh, used to have a, a little extra money going into into the season i think uh uh one of my fondest memories was a show that mom did in uh, uh, 1982, Kismet, uh, which uh, Doug, Doug Hahn was in, Cinder Reitzman, uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Russ Dunlap, a, a lot of, again, Muni regulars. And uh, uh, it was a very rainy opening night, and uh, the show had elaborate costumes and a nice set, and after a couple of stops and starts, they were about 10 or 15 minutes away from completion of the show, and uh, they got another rain. Uh, and so we were on hold. And after an extended period, the cast wanted to finish the show for the audience, who had stayed for the most part. And uh, so what they did is because uh, the music is all based on Borden's themes, there were a heavy number of violins and wood instruments in the orchestra pit. And in those days, the pit wasn't covered; it was all open. And and uh, uh, and so what they did is they announced that the show would go back up with, uh, but they were going to run with limited orchestra. Uh, and uh, 
as one of these nice little emotional moments that you that you get out there, and they dismiss the strings and the remainder of the orchestra. They're going to go with piano drum, uh, piano and drums for rhythm, and and finish the show for the audience. But when they struck up the orchestra, the violins had stayed, oh. and and so the audience passed the umbrellas up from the thing in the orchestra pit and it covered with umbrellas to protect the string instruments. Mm. And that's the Muni that I grew up in, which is really a great, <laughs> pardon me, it's a, don't, don't mean to be too emotional, but my oh, brother said, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those items where it is not only the cast that participates, but, but the audience Mm-hmm. participated as well and they made that show and and uh so the, the it's memories like that that are really remarkable where you have that interaction with the audience at that time and so that is probably of of all the moments I've ever had out at Muni one of one of the most quintessential but my thought is is there there are, there are all sorts of fun things i mean my son grew up out there to some some degree he used to play football and then Ended up, we ended up doing a show called Titanic uh, out there, and we needed somebody that could hit some high notes because we didn't we didn't have this one part. And and uh, Judy Denton tried out Michael real quick, and he hit the notes without a problem. And uh, and he ended up with a small featured part by the name of Charles, uh, and we called it Charles by chance, <laughs> by or by luck. And uh, with that, uh, uh, with that small little part, uh, Mike started uh, a theater career, and Mike went on to uh, uh, graduate from up at Roosevelt uh, Conservatory up in Chicago, and oh, went yeah. for two years with a Million Dollar Quartet on the original uh, road uh, national touring company, and went over to Japan and uh, and spent two years with them, and then uh, uh, then came back. Uh, and uh, did million dollar quartets, uh, million dollar quartets in various locations, including down at St. Louis Rep. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, I'm, and again, my names, uh, I'm terrible at names. Uh, there's a uh, uh, Hunter Foster was the was the director, uh, not of the original uh, Broadway uh, national touring company, but of the a lot of the small show, uh, versions. Mike. Uh, it has done, and Hunter is uh, famous for being Bobby in Urinetown. His sister Sutton yeah. uh, Hunter Foster uh, Sutton Foster is, of course, the tap dancer out of uh, Anything Goes, who's pretty famous as well. So the mm-hmm. Foster family. So welcome to what you know. What a small world happens. Uh, it happens to lead you to uh, if you follow the trail. And so that's how Mike got his start, and uh, ultimately met his wife. And uh, uh, who happened to be uh, best friends with one of uh, the other guys in the shows? Uh, they, uh, 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 his fiance, and the two the two girls had roomed together in at college, and uh, and Mike got set up on a blind debt date. So my my son's my son's life, his his wife, kind of come from a you know a, a, a freak chance muni show that got him interested in theater. Yeah, so. so well. yeah. So you mentioned Titanic, which probably still holds the record or for the most beast of a set we've ever had on that <laughs> mini stage. <laughs> it, 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 
it, it did take. Uh, we 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 used to. We, uh, as you get older, you start to enjoy black box theater because you don't have any sets. Everything's done with light, and you can yeah. And you can put it put it away. Uh, but we did. Uh, uh, it, it it was part of Muni. Part of marketing was you know what can you what can you put in the paper in those days, and can you do something that is that really is fun for the individuals and there are a lot of really wonderful sets and productions that were done in the in in those time frames right around in the uh uh 90s and early 2000s you know not that there still aren't but i mean just kind of, that was where i i was maybe more active at that time and more familiar we'd gotten done with a three-story set uh for phantom in g's 96 that went up all over the place, uh, and literally it was three stories, so we could drop the chandelier at the end of Act One. We had to go up high enough, and uh, uh, and then we started and, looking at put. Go ahead. And this, and this, just to be clear for those listening, this is not the Android Weber Phantom. This is no, the this other. is the Yeston, yeah. Uh, yeah. the Yeston Coppet version, and. Uh, 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 we started, we had used, in 87, I'd used TV Tower Trust. We'd done Peter Pan, Tom Shrewsbury. There, I, I had a hiatus where I was away from Muni for a while, and uh, Tom Shrewsbury brought me back in to do Peter Pan, to do the, the sets for Peter Pan. And so we started, at that time, we acquired Television Tower Trussing and started to use that. And then in 87, I, I put it up for Annie Get Your Gun, for proscenium, false proscenium, and then we started putting it uh, because Gary Shell was going to, they were going to do a crazy for you, and they we needed downlighting for slap that bass, and so we set it up for um, for downlighting and left it up. Welcome to how the truss system over Muni started to uh, mm-hmm. to evolve, and then uh, the the at least the last time I was out on the stage, the the side truss items uh, with the sliding, uh, there were sliding uh, uh, side maskers because in the old days they used to just be flats in the 60s and 70s and they would, in the late 60s, 70s, they'd blow down when the windstorms would come up. And so we uh, hooked them up with that and, and ultimately started uh, designing how to raise Titanic and how to do Titanic based upon the truss systems. And so we we ultimately, uh, with the help of a lot of wonderful people, uh, Mike Madden, oh, geez, uh, I, I'm going to forget people's names, uh, just wonderful, wonderful folks that came and put in hours and hours of time. Uh, 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 we ended up building a, a stage that raked to, uh, would lift to 10 degrees with the cast uh, uh, still uh, so the cast could go on it and the the entire and we had uh, gosh uh, around the wing stages we had second story items and there were three main winches that would run and it took a crew of about 15 to run the winches simultaneously in all three stages the second level of both side stages and the main stage would rake to uh, to 10 degrees uh, for as the ship would start to go down, and we'd build a false floor so that we could sink it because the drops would, instead of going down, would come up based upon truss systems that we were utilizing. And it took um, it took over 24 hours to take the set down. We built it over the from fall to spring 
uh, and then we took it down. It took, uh, as I said, 24 hours to take down. But uh, a wonderful group of people to work with. That set, when it rolled out, uh, the it was a two-story set. We used to park it in the old Lundgren building, which was only a story and a half. So the second story of the set with the bridge would crank uh, as with the cast on it as she would roll out. It was a 40-foot set on pulley system on an 80-foot raised track a foot and a half high and it would go out with a cast on it under the pulley system and the cranker for that who would raise the second story as she came on deck so it was kind of fun yeah i've seen pictures of that set and it's like wow i mean <laughs> it was it, it was something fun to do you know if, if, yeah. if and now nowadays if we do something different we you know, we do it you do it a different way probably you could probably do it a much more you could, or equally as effective with light or other items but it just was kind of fun and it was a it was a way to build a to build a tagline uh for uh, uh for advertising for the show uh and and you'd use that as the marketing in the Saturday paper with the journal register so well and you did the show like the movie well the james cameron movie hadn't been only been out for a few years so i mean people were like coming to it off you were kind of getting audience members based off that too weren't you uh yeah very well could have been i just at at uh uh i'd fallen in love with when you direct a show there has to be there has to be certain things that that make you want to do a show for basically yeah. uh, a year okay uh, because the time frame that it would take me to do a show out there you would start planning titanic we literally built the trust system that with in june for the preceding year with the idea that titanic might get chosen in september as one of the shows uh and so i mean we're and then and then you work f- you, we built through the entire winter, um, but my as well as trying to figure out how to you know where it was staged, how it was laid out, and and those types of items. Um, but those things uh, it t- took basically a year to do it, uh, to do a show. In my opinion, to, and to do it well. Other people may be able to go faster, just as my time frame. Uh, and so you devote yourself to that and there's got to be some music some some something in the show that makes you want to want to to give a, or have your family allow you to give a year of your life uh every weekend uh out uh, away and uh there's Yeston wrote the phantom that we we did and the and the music for Titanic was equally as good and so he just uh uh, wrote he had beautiful scores. Uh, there's a song in there, "Ladies Made," that's that three Irish girls sing. That's tremendous. And Andrews has a wonderful song uh, as the ship is going down, uh, which is everything he would have done if they would have let him. Uh, and the Andrews character is what drives me in that in that show because I've always thought of him as a hero. And there are other shows that you do. Miss Saigon, when you do it, there, there are certain moments in uh, um, the wife's song, Ellen's song, about her or me, uh, the, the, the emotion of that. And the, and the, and the one song that uh, 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 Chris and Kim have, uh, the first night that they spend together, uh, uh, is really great. And, and so you want to hear those things or you want to see those on stage. 
and and my thought is you try and figure out how to do them and that's why at least I would direct a show is because I'd have an idea about how that might be able to get done so yeah so you know sadly we la lost Gene Rubley um, about a week and a half ago or so and you know everybody affectionately called him Uncle Gene so do you have any like favorite Gene Ribley stories. I mean, he was quite the character. He, Gene was Gene was quite the character. I uh, I uh, got to know Gene very very well uh, with a show we did in 1982 called George M. I was George M. and Gene played my dad. And for oh. years, I used to send him Father's Day cards uh, because he was my dad. He was he was. Mr. Cohen, uh, in that, uh, just, uh, uh, Gene was one of those nice, remarkable people. Gene had a, uh, little house over on Rose Hill that, uh, uh, used to have, uh, it had a wall of pictures in the basement and it would be all the shows that Gene had been in from years to years in the, in the films or the TV productions. He, we'd have the awakening land and a couple of other, uh, TV shows that came to film out in the New Salem area, uh, and Gene would always go out and audition for those. And, the, and then the funny story for 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 Gene is he always ended up playing a corpse in, in <laughs> some of the television things, which we used to chuckle about. Well, if you need if you need anybody to just lay on the gurney, get Gene, get Gene. He's really <laughs> really tremendous. But he was he was very always very very kind uh, mm -hmm. to me. Uh, and uh, always, always very kind to mom and family, and and uh, and my family, and so I just thought very, very highly of him. And uh, uh, that relationship really started back in the George M. Cohen uh, show uh, in '82. Yeah, the year I met Gene was the year that they rebuilt the Lundgren, and it became the Lundgren Rubley Building. I met him that summer, and I mean, he was just. I mean, words cannot Gene, express Gene told you whatever he wanted to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, but he, he, but he, he was, he had this wisecracks about it, but he was like, I mean, words cannot express how honored he felt that a building was named after him. Yeah, and, and, and well, it should be, I mean, he, uh, I, pictures of Gene back from, geez, it got to be around 64, 65, maybe in the early you know, the 60s, or at the time, mom and the family started going out there uh, with the old board. But I just remember the pictures of everybody in the uh, of the board members in those days seated or standing around in the new Bush Stadium style seats that had gone into the Muni at that time. And uh, Gene, Gene always he all he never really age wise he never really changed he always looked pretty much the same he used to he used to occasionally gene always wore a toupee and occasionally <laughs> he would flip his uh toupee up and and you know and 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 it would kind of slap back down on his head but he'd always do it as a joke just to shock people uh and uh a really nice guy and very very devoted to the muni yeah yeah, very. So, um, are there any other memories, like with you or your mom, that stick out? Uh, 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 the loads. Uh, yeah. Way, way, way more than 
uh, way more uh, than we have than we have time to chat with uh, about. Uh, 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 Mom, when she directed, uh, it was a question as to whether or not she could direct uh, 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 1776 the second time, not because she hadn't been picked or didn't want to or anything like that, but because she had uh, she'd fallen and uh, oh. she was a poli- polio victim as a kid, and so the bones were not strong. And uh, um, and uh, but she was very anxious in doing the doing the show again, and uh, uh, so the the cast or the, the uh, would be very. Uh, she did, directed the show from a wheelchair because she was not able to walk that summer, and uh, the cast would would make sure everything taken care of, and then everybody would get together and we'd wheel mom up the uh, uh, up the up the hill, which can be kind of a steep go, as mm-hmm. you know, out at Muni. Yeah. Uh, but uh, those remarkable things of what people would do, and uh, and the people we got to meet, uh, uh, wonderful folks, a gentleman by the Mike, name of Mike Dudley, who's out used to be out in Pleasant Plains. I think he's still out there, and his wife Sharon. When mom. Mike played uh, Thomas Jefferson in both productions, and uh, 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 he used to bring he used to bring Sharon by, and they would come over and spend the uh, the evening talking. And that Mike was <laughs> just with Mom about everything, you know, just coming over to visit. But that would be a date for them on the evening. And when Mike came to the house the first time, uh, he knocked at the back door because in, at least where he had grown up in the custom that the, their family had was you didn't enter through the front door, you entered at the back door. So he brought Sharon around to the back door of the house and knocked him on and said, no, no, Mike, when you, if you're coming over, come over in the front door. So, But it was just, it, it, Muni's been a, um, uh, there are a lot of nice memories. Uh, I think probably the kindest, nicest thing uh, about Mom was whenever, uh, I was doing a show, or if Kathy was in in a cast occasionally, or when Mike would later do shows, uh, uh, Mom and Dad would always be out there, and Mom would come out for every show, regardless of weather, and she would be there for us just to support us. And we'd always, you know, we'd always keep it. Hey, was tonight good? <laughs> did you like that? Or what about that? We had that little problem. You know, what did you think? Did we come out of that okay? But she would always be out there uh, for us every evening, and and so that's probably my fondest recollection is she would be at every show we did. So when did you direct your first show? Oh, geez, I got I got asked I think to direct my first show maybe in eighty. Uh, geez, I I I can't re- I honest to God, gosh, can't remember. I think of the first show I directed. Perhaps was Hello Dolly out there with Georgia Dirksen, and then uh, uh, and I was a young kid uh, just out of law school at that time had come had come back and then didn't direct again for a while until '87 uh, and Roger Holmes uh, suggested I take on Annie Get Your Gun. They were looking oh. for somebody to to take that on, which is an old show which means there needs to be uh you need to look at the script really carefully and the music really carefully and figure out how to make it play and it, that show would now play totally different today i don't even know if because of, because of other other reasons in that show uh but my thought is we figured out a way to do it and uh 
my wife Valerie said, "Sure, go ahead and do it," and and that kind of re- restarted the process from there. And uh, uh, they were they were all, all the shows have been been fun to do. We had a uh, I. Uh, you know, particularly the ones I think I've enjoyed were, you know, were the ones I did later, which were were uh, State Fair, uh, Titanic was was fun. Uh, the one I really enjoyed working on uh, was Miss Saigon, which was uh, uh-huh. the last one I directed out there. Uh, yeah, and I'm looking. Hello, Dolly with Georgia was '83. Does that '83? So? Uh, that would have been real, yeah. right after a, a back from law school done in '82 or so. Yeah, so. Yeah, and tell us about Georgia, because Georgia's a force, too. Uh, really talented, wonderful mm-hmm. woman. Georgia, uh, I, I worked with Georgia when we did Irene back in 76. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mom directed Georgia uh, in uh, Once Upon a Mattress out out there, and uh, uh, her... Uh, uh, I remember seeing Georgia uh, do uh, My Fair Lady back uh, in, geez, I want to say 65. Uh, uh, oh, 66. Uh, I have the 66. list. 66. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good guess. Uh, the other, the we'd gone out to see the show yeah. because a gentleman by the name of Fred Wassel was Colonel mm-hmm. Pickering. Fred Wassel was band director from out at uh, New Berlin. And Fred mm-hmm. happened to do a number of things. He was my original swimming instructor at the yeah. Y, and uh, and so we'd kind of gone out to see some of the shows, and uh, and so I remember Georgia doing that, and just having her around. It always made uh, made for wonderful, wonderful uh, experiences. She did uh, Funny Lady uh, in. In the early '70s, Betty Ward directed, and we uh, 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 Betty wanted a curtain across the stage for all the Ziegfeld numbers. And Fred Wassel was the set designer. I was a young kid at the time, and uh, we'd go out and we'd paint paint flats and sew curtains. And as kids, we used to when the wind would come up, uh, the chiffon curtain would billow out, and so they used to roll the young kids like me in the in the bottom of the curtain to keep the curtain from billowing up in the middle of windstorms. Georgia was really incredible in that in that show. Uh, Mary Beth also did a nice job when uh, yeah. she did that later. Uh, but I remember I I remember uh, all you know. You learn very quickly how not to be modest at Muni with fast costume changes. Uh huh. Yes. And and uh, you know and I was running set crew and Georgia was changing costumes and which she just you know she just would be like don't worry just you know keep going to the set change keep going with the set change and uh, she just always was a wonderful lady and I and I can't say enough good about her. So and I know and. Um... Another show that I know you were you played is you played Warbucks and Annie and oh yeah 90, yeah ninety eight so do you have any special memories from that uh, a, a couple of them uh, 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 I had fun because again that was a show where I got to be in a cast with with my son uh, Michael was a young kid and in the chorus at that time and that was that was very fun. Uh, Amber Destaccio was uh, Annie. Uh, her uh, she was out of St. Louis, the St. Louis area. Her dad, uh, Doctor Destaccio, happens to have a, 
a chiropractic office next to my law office uh, and has had for years. And so Amber would come up, came up for that summer to spend the summer with her dad and uh, uh, ended up doing the show. The, um, uh, the nice memory I re- recall about that is uh, uh, Rich McCoy had done, we'd done Annie at Theater Center. A lot of us had uh, several years uh, uh, prior to that. Uh, with a very nice uh, production that was done there. And and uh, Rich McCoy uh, came up to me, uh, who had done Warbucks uh, uh, originally there, quite quite wonderfully. And he had a old 1928 silver dollar uh, that he carried with him through the show. And I remember uh, 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 he gave me the silver dollar, and he said, this is yours now, your daddy Warbucks. And so that was really nice. And then ultimately I think Rich did the – Carter did something similar again, and I, if my recollection is correct, yeah. on that opening night, I uh, took the old coin back and said, "Well, now it's yours again." So, uh, just those, those are the fun types of things with getting to yeah. know people, and and all the wonderful times that you get to spend with folks. And I know that production was also special because several of the orphans from that are now uni leading ladies such as um wasn't anna well anna meisenbach but anna bussing wasn't she an orphan and sarah botusevich and or sorry oh Gatton. yeah yeah there it was it was a it was a wonderful wonderful cast and uh mm-hmm. uh if i'm correct laurie o'brien directed that yeah show. yeah it really did a was was a lot of fun working with her the 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 one show that i think i enjoyed most as an as a as an actor, was a small little show we did called Teddy and Alice that oh, was directed yeah. by Susie Collier, and it was uh, uh, I really enjoyed working uh, with Mary Young and Ed McMurdo and Susie on that, and, and uh, uh, Scott Richardson had done the sets, and uh, it was it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. That's uh, from an acting standpoint, that one that one meant more to me than probably any of them. The the one that was probably the the most fun from a or not most fun but necessarily but uh, one that had a fun story uh, was singing in the rain, and again we used the truss system. This would have been I guess maybe around eighty eight or so, but we the the you have the the rain number at the end of Act One, and out at Muni you can put water on the stage without much worry because we're an outdoor theater. Yeah. And so we built the piping up so that the the you could do singing in the rain, uh, and splash in the puddles, and climb on the sets, and do all the stuff that Gene Kelly did. And uh, we did uh, the silent part of that movie, or the silent movie stuff. We actually filmed in early May, first first weekend in May at the Episcopal Church downtown, and back out at the Muni site. It was so cold it was snowing. Uh, flurries out at Muni. Uh, Scott Richards and I were doing the set. We went up to the concession stand. We turned on the popcorn popper and held the light bulbs uh, simply to keep our hands from freezing uh, be- be- as we were waiting for the cast to get out from the shoot down at uh, the uh, uh, Episcopal Church. Um, and it was it was kind of uh, it was a rough weather. Singing in the rain got rained out. I think the first couple of nights. Uh, and we were uh, one of the one of the comments was they and it was just garden hoses hooked up to the back through piping that had specially drilled holes that went all over the place and and uh, the cast the 
gentleman who was playing the lead in uh, uh, the Gene Kelly part said, you know, everything's great. Is there any way that we could warm up the water for them because it was really chilly? And, um, uh, of course, there's absolutely no way you can warm up a garden hose if it's, I mean, I, we, there was no way to heat the water. But I remember that what we, uh, Scott and I looked at each other, and, uh, and Ed Smith was director, and I said, well, we'll come up with something. And uh, it was just a warmer day, and the, the hoses were, had been left out. And the only thing we said to him after the rehearsal was, how'd that water feel tonight? We, we think we got something worked out. And, of course, we'd done nothing different than before. And the gentleman was very nice, was playing the lead. He said, that's fine. It worked great. <laughs> and all we did was just turn on the same water again. So, uh, kind of, kind of fun. I, I do just to to make a, make a proper footnote. Uh, I, the name I told you of the gentleman that they had, uh, who was directing Showboat, who I would be remiss if I couldn't remember it. I do remember the name, and it's come to me. And the name is uh, Eden Nicholas was his name, and he's the party that uh, uh, they had uh, uh, MGM traded to RKO to get Sinatra. So. Just a nice gentleman, nice gentleman. Well, lots of good stories. So before we wrap up, are there anything, any other memory or experiences you want to share? Any special? I, I'm, sure, I'm sure everybody's probably done listening to me at this okay. time. But, uh, no, just really nice. The, the nicest thing, the nicest thing we would, you know, uh, uh, is that it was is that we've our family has had the ability to have three generations involved mom and dad uh dad is a supporter and and sponsor mom is a uh on stage uh, director and president uh, myself and my sister and uh my son uh who had had fun out there and ended up stage he's ended up stage managing and doing other stuff all of which he he stage managed when they weren't on on Million Dollar Quartet on his off nights. He'd he'd call the show as a as a as a backup stage manager uh, on some of the stuff and vocal directed because of what the parties had taught him and what he'd learned partly musically there and partly from his teachers and stuff. And so my thought is to have three three generations out there, all uh, all of which the nicest thing was you could you could come out and enjoy the sun cutting through the trees on the west side. Uh, in early June or July, and you get that Kelly green color in the leaves as the sun comes through and the shadows and the orchestra tunes up, and and for two and a half hours you could uh, you could help everybody forget what was going on in 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 the world that they didn't want to worry about, and take them to some place unique wherever that was that was happened to be on stage, and and so it was always about what could you do to make the most professional show that you could do and the most enjoyable time for the audience uh, and give them as much as you could possibly give them for their $5 or their $6 and how could you make that better each year and, and, and with each production and what could we do different the next time to make it, make it more special for them uh, and keep the audience coming back and, and my thought is that's that was the philosophy that was um, that drove us all at that time, and and it really is a it's a wonderful philosophy, and and we would simply enjoy being out there together with each other, and celebrating each other's successes and help each other through 
through tough times, and it became what we would proudly call the Muni family. And and that's what's nice about Muni Opera it is it is it's not individuals; it's a, it's a group of people coming together to do something special. Well, thank you very much for taking a little bit out of your day to talk with me today, Paul. This has been well, my pleasure. My pleasure. Probably way too more, way more than you oh, need to have. <laughs> oh well, no, lots of great information. So. Thank you for talking with us today, and you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, you too. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Muni Oral History Project. This is an ongoing effort to capture the memories and stories of the Springfield Municipal Opera. If you have pictures, videos, or stories you'd like to contribute to this effort, please email history at themuni.org. Your hosts have been Jacob Potty and Craig McFarland. Production assistance by Vanessa Ferguson and Jeremy Geckner. Special thank you to the Muni Board of Managers and the Muni Board of Trustees for their support in this effort. And thank you to all the Muni family who continue to help us create magic every summer.